On. Do we have lights? Do we have sound? Oh, there we go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, Betty is passing out some handouts that we're uh, disseminating here. Yeah. One is uh, kind of a colored piece, and another is a two-page, smaller, it says Appendix B on it. I'll talk about that in just a second. Welcome to everybody um, to uh, Elmira Baptist Church Sunday School. And I appreciate y'all being here. It's good to see everybody here. And uh, good, to, good to see those that uh, we haven't seen in quite a while. It's a blessing to have y'all here. Thank you all for tuning in uh, uh, on uh, the streaming. And uh, hope you enjoy our, uh, our discussion of Colossians. We've been taking our time because I think it's really important in chapter one. There's a tremendous amount of doctrine that we want to understand before we go off into the other. Also, we've kind of been starting with some questions um, that uh, we've been doing for review to help us cement in our minds some of the truths that we have. Now, if you don't have a purple handout, um, you should get one because... This is really wordy. You're not going to be able to follow along unless you have, unless you're Einstein as far as remembering a lot of the things that we say. And this will help you. Now, what did he say about that? You can go back and you can check. And so I, we want to take our uh, take time to start our time with prayer. Again, a warm welcome to everybody. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we look at Colossians. We're looking at Colossians one. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, look at the Word of God. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at it in depth to see what you want us to learn from this book and what the doctrine is and what the corresponding obligation that we have to submit to that, to your will and, that, and those teachings. And Lord, help us uh, to clearly talk about and look at this chapter 1 of Colossians. We thank you for the clear picture that we have of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Thank you for each one that's represented here. I pray your blessing upon those that couldn't be here, those that are ill, those that are sick. We lift them up in prayer, Lord, asking that you would be with them. And we thank you for those that you have healed. And thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, starting out, not on your handout, starting out with a, a quiz. I've got about a series of about 10 questions. But first, <laughs> I looked at the wonderful video that uh, is done uh, by Roy and uh, to see where, I was trying to remember, where were we when we let, stopped off? Because I've been through this quite a long and I can't remember where we stopped. So I scrolled through that and I found it. And uh, then I realized that... Uh, as I was summing something up, I misstated the fact that Paul it was in uh, Ephesians, or Ephesus rather, uh, two years. Well, he was in the school of Tyrannus two years, and he was in Ephesus three years, or about three years. So wanted to make that clarification. Remember, he went to the synagogue, the Jews rejected him, he couldn't speak there, and other ministries... So he went over nearby Ephesus to the school of Tyrannus and uh, taught there 
for the space of two years. And we think that's where uh, Epa uh, Epaphras uh, are, and, who came and learned uh, and was saved and then went down and started the church at uh, Colossae and, and maybe even Hierapolis, uh, Laodicea rather. So I uh, wanted to kind of clarify that. Second thing I wanted to clarify is um, Timothy uh, was at Ephesus, not Colossae. At one time I noticed that I said Colossae when I meant to say Ephesus. Uh, what happens between here and here often for me uh, doesn't work well. That's why I'm a better writer than speaker. I'm kind of like Jimmy Stewart. If you remember who he was, I kind of stub, stuttered. And so thank you for listening through all of that to get the message. Uh, Timothy was a church leader, not at Colossae, but at Ephesus. And he was not there at the time that Paul wrote the book to Colossians, uh, to Colossae and to Ephesus. He was there later. And that's where this handout comes in. Because I was looking to... Uh, Clarify. Let's look at the little one first. It says Appendix B. This is from Jensen's Survey of the New Testament by Irving Jensen. He has the best charts and stuff out there. Uh, it really, really helpful. And this chart is a chronology or a timeline of Paul's life and his contacts with Timothy and Titus, which is what we want to look at. So you see his birth, Paul's birthday, Paul's birth rather, was around uh, the time of Christ was born. He was born just about the same time. He was converted uh, AD 33, it's in Acts 9. His first missionary journey, Timothy uh, accepted Christ at Derby. probably he was in his late teens. Do you see that event? And then scripture and then date. And then you notice that Timothy joined Paul number five on his second missionary journey. So this is really helpful because it kind of clarifies where you can go and look at the scripture. You can see the approximate date and you can see the event. So Timothy joined Paul on his second missionary journey. Now, for our subject, look at number six, the third missionary journey. He was about three years in Ephesus, not Colossae, Ephesus with Timothy. Now, uh, he was there ministering. And so he became familiar with all the people in Ephesus and was well loved by them. And he uh, went over to the, with Paul to the school of Tyrannus for two years. Now let's look on, notice that Paul was arrested, number seven, at Jerusalem. Then he uh, spoke to Felix and Festus and Agrippa page, you turn to the second page, which is labeled 519. And then his journey to Rome, number 10, where he was imprisoned. And from there, he wrote the prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, uh, and Philippians. Okay, so that was his first imprisonment. Timothy was there with Paul. So if he was there with Paul, he couldn't have been at Ephesus or even Colossae at that time. He was he was with Paul. Now, where he gets to be the leader of the church, the pastor or bishop of the, the church or churches at Ephesus, uh, look at number 12. After number 11, he's released from prison, about 62 AD. And, and number 12, after his release, it shows he, there were some travels there. He, 
he went through eventually Asia Minor. When he goes through Ephesus, he leaves Timothy there to minister. And Steve, I think you've got first, uh, rather, yeah, First Timothy one three. Listen to First Timothy one three. As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So he left Ephesus, he left Ephesus, but he left uh, Timothy there to help them stay, uh, stay orthodox, stay, stay in, in alignment with the doctrine that he taught, to keep teaching. And, uh, and Timothy became a pastor or a bishop uh, in that, that area. And we know that from scripture, and we know that from secular. So uh, he, if you look at our handout finishing, he goes on to Macedonia, and then he writes uh, 1 Timothy, and then he is um, rearrested by uh, Nero uh, in 15, number 15 event next to the last, then he writes the book of 2 Timothy. So that to me was really helpful because I know as an early Christian, I couldn't figure out all these journeys and places. Number one, I didn't, it's not like he went to LA and he went to Chicago. I couldn't see that in my brain. Now you could you have a little bit more of a picture um, of where he went and it's on a chart. That helps me to look at things organizationally. Yo. Question? Yes. Um. Yeah. <laughs> do, he, do tradition thinks that he sat under Paul when Paul was at the three years in, or when tradition? He? Well, what most people believe is that's where he came to know Christ, and he was sat under Paul's ministry for two years, and maybe even Philemon and other people that were in that church at at uh, Colossae. And then he went and started Colossae. Uh, yeah. That's that's what that's what most people believe, and that seems really really uh, logical because where else would Epaphras come across the gospel unless it was some other city? So, uh, and also wanted to, I'm always sometimes uh, I'm always concerned about pronouncing something correctly. So uh, we talked about Tychicus the other day, and uh, uh, it looks like Tychicus to me, but. Uh, Epaphras, I've always pronounced it Epaphras. Well, I looked it up, and Google says, which is not the authority, 2,000-year-old authority, but uh, it said Epaphras. Now, I'm going to say Epaphras, so, and we can agree on that's a 2,000-year-old word, maybe even older, so there's, who knows how it's pronounced, but Epaphras seems to be the accepted scholarly uh, pronunciation. But I'm going to call it Epaphras because I've done that in here, and I don't want anybody to think it's two separate people. So, okay. So, uh, the second handout. Thanks for bringing that up because I forgot that. Paul's travels and missionary journeys. Now, here, this is from the um, Rose Book of Bible Charts and Maps and Timelines. Now, I, I really love things when they fit together. And, you know, it's hard to put the Bible together because and it's constructed for a certain reason in the order that it's in. Uh, but it's hard to put all of that together. You know, where in Acts is this, and uh, where is his travels, 
before he was arrested by Nero and all of that. So this, this handout here gives us this chart, gives us Paul's early travels before his missionary journey, then his first missionary journey. And if you see, uh, he went, he traveled, look on the first, Paul's first missionary journey. He traveled with Barnabas and John Mark, and he went to Cyprus and Turkey. They even give a distance, <laughs> 1,400 miles. And then cities and places, and it highlights Antioch of Pisidia. And then the second missionary journey, uh, where it is, who, is who, who he was with, main contacts that he had, and it lists Corinth as a chief place. And then for our purposes, first thing on the right-hand side column, Paul's third missionary journey, Acts 18.23 through 21.16. He traveled with Timothy and Luke and others, and uh, the main route, he went through Turkey, which they call in the Bible Asia Minor, and, and some other names, Greece, Lebanon, Israel, 2,700 miles. And where he went through, the different places that he went through, and Ephesus is highlighted there. And then Paul's journey to Rome, um, and then um, his uh, other travels before his death after his release from prison the first time. And if you see that cities and places, the order is kind of sketchy in the scripture, so we don't know the exact order that it, that it occurred in. We have a sense, but not perfect knowledge. And this is where in 1 Timothy 1.3, do you see right under Macedonia, other travels before Paul's death, cities and places, order unknown, First one is Macedonia. That's where he left Timothy at Ephesus. So now the little square down there with the orange uh, background, it says how to remember Paul's journey. Now, I used to always think, was that on the first journey? Was that on the third journey? Was that on the second journey? This is helpful because uh, they use the word pacer. Uh, and Paul was a pacer in the race that he ran. And uh, he says a pacer takes the lead or sets an example. My wife Cindy used to do track, and so sometimes she. I said, "What's that guy running up front, Cindy?" And then because he quit, and she said, "He's a pacer. He keeps them for the first part of the race going the the speed that they want to go, and it, and it helps them. They, they call him a rabbit or something because you know they, they they can increase their pace by watching that person and going faster. So anyway, a pacer. Paul was a pacer. So P is for Paul, I've run the race and kept the faith. And then the first journey is Antioch of Pisidia. The second journey is Corinth. third uh, journey is Ephesus. And the fourth journey is Rome. So P-A-C-E-R. I thought that was really a good anagram or whatever they call that to, to kind of track and remember what his journeys were. Of course, that's not all the cities, but that's helpful in figuring those things out. So, so first question I have is what was happening to Paul uh, and where was he when he wrote the book of Colossians? I actually already gave the answer. Where was Paul? Where was Paul at? As we say in the South, where was he at <laughs> when he wrote the book of Colossians? Where was Paul? Oh, yes, ma'am. Right, right. Rome in prison, 60 to 62 AD. And that's actually on that handout, which is nice. Okay. So, Number two, who was Tychicus and what did he do? And let's, uh, let's see, Colossians 4, 7 through 9. Kathy, if you'd read that. 
declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So who was Tychicus? Who was Tychicus? Yeah, he was. He was a, a beloved brother and minister and fellow servant. Wouldn't you like to be called by Paul a beloved brother and fellow servant? Paul wrote most of the New Testament. That's quite an endorsement. Paul is really generous to do that with many people that labored with him. And he wasn't exactly easy to work with necessarily. He had high standards. Remember, he had a, a, a disagreement with, with uh, Barnabas over Mark because Mark was young, and I'm sure he wasn't quite uh, ready to do all of what Paul wanted him to do. And uh, anyway, so uh, also uh, Tychicus uh, was sent with this letter uh, to inform the, Col the Colossians uh, about Paul and how he was doing in, pres in prison, because you can't write all the things that you can say as easily I've tried to put difficult concepts into writing. You almost can't put anything in text that's really complicated. There's too many variables. So he went along, or he went with this letter to the Colossians and to tell them about Paul and how he was doing in prison and to see them personally. And it actually says to comfort them because they were deeply concerned about Paul and his well-being, and to help them understand and apply his teachings. The teachings that he had, as we've seen in this book, are very, very profound and deep. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he's supreme. He's overall. He's preeminent. And, and very, very challenging teachings to understand. He also escorted Onesimus uh, safely to Colossae, and to Philemon and protect him from those that might be hunting runaway slaves, right? So, uh, because there was a bounty on <coughs> runaway slaves. And he also uh, delivered the book of Ephesians and Philemon to Philemon is a book written to a person uh, and as well as Colossians. Uh, he, didn't, he did not deliver Philippians. Epaphroditus delivered the book of uh, Philippians because he was one of the members of the church. So what is a mystery in the New Testament? That's from last week's lesson. What is a mystery? It is not Agatha Christie's mystery, right? What's a mystery? Yeah, it's a truth to be revealed. It's a truth hidden from previous generations, but now revealed. And that, that's in your handout. Uh, even on this handout, on page two. And it's on item, um, B, item number, Paul's message two, item B. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you. So, it's a truth hidden from previous generations, but now revealed. It's divinely, it's from God. It's, it's revealed by God, and it's revealed by God through his word or by uh, those that he sent to reveal it, like Paul, uh, an apostle. 
uh, he, it's revealed at a time of God's choosing and in the manner of God's choosing. And then fourthly, it's revealed only to those that are illumined by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the person that's not a Christian, the, nat the natural man can't understand the divine things from God. Uh, only we can understand them because we have the Holy Spirit. That's one of his ministries. Number four, was Paul a minister of the following? Or which one of these is he a minister of? So I'm going to say it, and you, you, all of you that think it, it's yes, he's a minister of that, raise your hand, okay? So did he call himself a minister of these things? The first thing is, did he call himself a minister of the church? How many of you believe it was a minister of the church? That's, he is a minister of the church, <laughs> okay? Is he a, and they, these are from Scripture, and that's actually in your handout on page 1, verse or page 1, uh, under B1, Paul's appointment. He's a minister, okay? Minister of the church. Was he a minister of the gospel? Was Paul a minister of the gospel? Yes, he was. Was he a minister of God? Yes. Yes, all right. You could say yes, too. Was Paul a minister of Christ? Yes. Yes, he was. Now, was Paul a minister of the new covenant? Yes. Yes, okay. Now, I don't have any false ones. They're all yes. Okay. Who did Paul win to the Lord in Rome that was from Colossae? Philemon. Exactly. The runaway slave. What a great story that is. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't know how far Rome is from uh, Colossae, but it's a long distance. And here's this guy, the slave. Number one, he makes it to Rome without being killed or captured or something or taken away or dying on the road uh, being uh, assaulted by other slave hunters uh, and somehow Paul he's divinely appointed they have a divine appointment and Paul leads him to the Lord can you imagine that and then he's from Colossae and so Paul's writing a book to them anyway in addition to that he writes another book to Philemon to talk to him. Now, um, did Paul send Onesimus back to Philemon for punishment? No, he did not. He sent him back. Uh, Philemon 16 through 19, Cindy. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially uh, to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If I wrong thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest me, even thine own self besides. Then he had a letter from Paul, an apostle of God. And he says... Forgive this guy that has done you wrong, Onesimus. And he formerly was unprofitable. Now he is profitable, which is a play on words because like many servants, his name was Onesimus, which meant profitable. And he says, you owe me everything. <laughs> so put it on my account. Uh, he said, receive him as a brother, not as a slave, receive him as a brother. And receive him as you would receive me, Paul. And put anything that he owes you on my account. 
because you owe me everything. Paul really put it out there and said, this is what I want you to do. And that was, that was uh, godly. That was a godly approach. And that, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. He took all his sins on him. They call that the doctrine of imputation. Our, our sins were uh, his righteousness. Our sins were imputed to him and his righteousness was imputed to us. So um, what is the theme of Colossians? What is the theme of Colossians? Yes, Christ is ahead of the church, and he is absolutely supreme, and, and so the absolute supremacy and sole sufficiency of Christ, Christ alone is sufficient. And he did this because there was a heresy that really all cults, heresies, false teachings generally attack Christ in some way, and this one did by saying that Christ alone was not sufficient for us to have our sins forgiven and to have reconciliation with God or to be saved. So it attacked the second person of the Trinity. So I found an, a great short article, What's the Big Idea? And it's by Chuck Swindoll. And he, and he, he kind of talks about why that Paul used this theme. In this book, Chuck Swindoll says, the Apostle Paul described Jesus with some of the loftiest language in all of the New Testament, focusing on Christ's preeminence and his sufficiency in all things. By sufficiency, he means Christ was able to do this. He had the capability because he was God in the flesh. Paul presented Christ as the center of the universe, not only as the active creator, but also as the recipient of creation. Now, I never heard that term before, but he puts a dash and he says, in taking on his human flesh, he became, he, he became human in order that we could, uh, that he could bear our sins for us and live a perfect life and be the spotless lamb of God. Christ was and is the visible image of the invisible God containing within himself the fullness of deity. Colossians 2, 9 says, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So because of his divine nature, Jesus is sovereign above all things. That's the theme of this book, the preeminence of Christ, the, the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. So Jesus is sovereign above all things with an authority given him by the Father, God the Father. As such, Jesus is also the head of the church. And you remember, we looked at last week, Ephesians pictures the same Jesus as uh, we looked at the body of Christ. His body is the church of which Christ is the head. Two different views there in uh, emphasis in when, when Paul wrote his books. So as such, Jesus is also the head of the church. He has reconciled all things to himself through his death on the cross, making believers alive to God and setting them on the path to right living. This proper view of Christ served as the antidote for the Colossian heresy as well as the building block for Christian life and doctrine both then and now. And I was reading this and I thought about, talked about the antidote for a false teaching. 
and I thought about, you know, shots are, I know shots are controversial, but let's, let's say not the COVID shot, but, you know, smallpox. You take a smallpox vaccination, keep you from getting smallpox. Lots of people died from smallpox. And uh, you take the uh, a, a vaccination can often save our life. Well, Christ is the true vaccination against sin. And so uh, Christ served as the antidote for Colossian heresy as well as the building block for the Christian life and doctrine both then and now. So that is... Um, so where are we... Okay, what is the theme of Colossians? What was... Colossi famous for now I don't think that I've shared this but maybe one snippet a long time ago last year what was Colossus, Colossians uh, Colossi famous for or what was the main economic activity anybody have any idea it was and then they moved it yeah but it was it did it was that's true they, it was a thoroughfare for trade that was on the main road uh, from the, the so-called Orient to Middle East, down even to Africa. But textile industry was really the number one thing, and I read that. They had wool and sheep, and that kind of struck a note with me because I used to spend a lot of time in Iceland in the military, and they had this super wool that everybody loved, and they had it dyed a certain way, and, and it was just something to love to have. They had sweaters and all kinds of clothes made out of it. So they were known for their textile industry based on wool from the special way of sheep were raised there and also black and red dye from nearby chalk deposits. So uh, Colossians 3.12 of uh, Rick. Yeah, you're probably saying, you gave him the wrong verse, Scotty. No, no. What I wanted to show there is that they were well familiar with clothes that are made out of that textile wool that they created, and that was their number one product. And it was, you know, it was not like... I used to be from Memphis, and Holiday Inn was headquartered in Memphis. You know, and sometimes I'd say, we have Holiday Inn. That's where the corporate office is. Or Levi's is in San Francisco. They were well familiar with, with the textile industry and the wool. So when Paul said, put on, that verse verb in Greek talks about putting on a garment and clothing yourself in all of those attributes uh, that Christ reproduces in us, kindness and gentleness and humbleness and all of those things. So uh, that meant something special to them because they, they were familiar with clothing themselves with their special garment, which was the wool dyed with those special dyes. So number nine, next to the last question, what three cities together with Colossae formed the Tri-Cities and the Lycus River Valley was that river valley that ran kind of from Ephesus on the coast uh, up to uh, primarily to the, west, to the east to form uh, a uh, river valley that was easy to travel. There's a, Cindy mentioned the 
interstate trade route, <laughs> I trade route, and um, the and who has Colossians four, twelve and thirteen, Betty. Hierapolis. Yes. So that last part of that verse talks about two other cities. Did you get that? It was Laodicea and Hierapolis. So uh, it also referenced the, the next question. So the three cities were Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And they, they, they tended to be connected. It's thought that Epaphras or Epaphras went to all three of those and may have even been instrumental in starting those other churches. But it seems that he was uh, most known in the scriptures from being at Colossae. Who is mentioned in Colossians, and just mentioned by Betty uh, when she read that passage, is having a great zeal for Christians in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras, yeah, exactly, Epaphras. And... Uh, um, the word zeal in, is in King James, and it, it reflects uh, great concern. It's a good way to express that. I always think of zeal as somebody that just has a, a true burden of, of that, to see great things happen for those folks. Our pastor has a zeal for this church, to see us um, mature in Christ and growing in Christ. Uh, also, uh, it also includes a sense of working extremely hard, intense labor. So those are the 10 <coughs> questions that I have. Do you have a question? Anybody have a question? I asked you to read Colossians last week. Did anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but did anybody read Colossians last week? If you didn't, read it this week. Chapter 1 through 4, it is easy, probably 10 minutes to read it. Okay, so your handout, which is the purple handout, we're going to go to that now. And yes, Rick. If I can make a comment. We, you're talking about Corinthians uh, 3.12. We're putting on, putting on the attributes of a Christian to show outward. But in another verse, I, I believe it goes into putting on the armor of God. Yes, chapter 6. Yeah, yeah. The outside world. Yes. One is, to, one is to show and one is to Colossians 3.12, yes. Yeah, that's true. Exactly, yeah. And also, it's it, one is from, one is from, uh, well, the first two chapters of Colossians talk about the um, supremacy of Christ, and the second two chapters talk about practical living, which is our submissiveness to Christ. I really love that when I read that. I think... I think I, saw, I can't remember who said that, but I really, really thought that was good. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the handout. Uh, we, we're in a section where Paul is talking about four aspects of his ministry, and it goes all the way to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We're in the section, his commission to preach. And 
if you see, I repeated that down there. I, I put the, I took B and redid the B down here. Uh, his commission to preach, chapter one, twenty-five through twenty-nine. We looked at his appointment. We looked at his message. Uh, we haven't looked at his method and his aim. That's what I was hoping to do today, but our time is already over. So, <laughs> so I enjoyed the questions. Do you like the questions and answer thing too? Okay, I'll try to keep doing that. If anybody doesn't like it? Okay. What? Oh, more to the lesson. Okay, okay. I get some people say more questions, or some people say more lesson. Okay. Okay, so um, what I'm really excited about doing, and I want to make sure that I have plenty of time to do, looking at page two, uh, it says review out in the, there it says Paul's message. We talked about the words that he used to describe his message, the word of God, and then he talked about mystery, the truths that have been hidden. We talked about what a mystery is. Now then, he talked about item D there. God would make known the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. God is pleased to reveal his eternal plan and reveal how great is the glorious truth made known in the gospel mystery. Well, it, it doesn't seem... In some senses, it doesn't seem very important to us. We've heard this a thousand times, that Christ lives within us. We know the Holy Spirit lives within us, but we know Christ lives within us, but the Jews and the Gentiles are together in the church. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live in anyone. Christ didn't live in anyone. God the Father didn't live in anyone. The Holy Spirit had to come down on individuals for them to be able to do special projects and minister. Sometimes... Uh, is expressed Elisha and Elijah talked about let thy mantle fall on me the empowering to do God's work and will we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have the Lord Jesus Christ in us and so uh, verse 27 chapter 1 if you want to turn to chapter 1 uh, verse, start with verse 26 chapter 1 of Colossians even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations in the past, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is you, which is in you, which is Christ in you, I can, I can read, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul was excited about that. And, and I have a, when we, next week I have a quote. When we come, I want to read this quote by, uh, uh, that really describes the great, sometimes we live like paupers. We just live, and, and truly, and sometimes we just live like spiritual paupers, just poor, poor. My folks were very, very poor, but they had riches beyond the wealth of this world and that they loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, and soul. Remember that was our theme last year? 
They loved the Lord. And they loved others because they loved the Lord. And I, uh, I saw numerous times my parents wish, uh, witnessing to people that were just bottomed out in life. And they became Christians and they served the Lord all their lives. They served the Lord because they loved him and they had all the riches because Christ in them was the hope of glory. And we're going to talk about that. And I want to have time to share with you the significance of that and what that means and the spiritual riches that that gives us. We have every resource that we need to be successful right now. Now, that doesn't mean we can use that resource. We have to learn to, to use that resource. And sometimes we're not ready to use that resources. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord Jesus Christ living within us. And uh, I want to uh, share that in a way which will be really helpful. And then we'll go to finish the end of the chapter. Any questions? Anything that I said that was unclear? Any questions at all? So more or lesson next week, less questions. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay. <laughs> we actually covered the lesson and a lot of the questions. Okay. So, so Cindy helps me very much. Okay. Um, let's close. And, and if you want to just read this passage, uh, read Colossians 1, especially if you don't get to the rest of the book. Read Colossians 1 where it talks about... Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what I really want to emphasize next week. And uh, I read last week, if you remember, him 608 in our book, Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation is this. Christ liveth in me. Now, isn't that amazing? It really is. You know, I think about that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How does he strengthen me? He's within me. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this book and all the truths that it reveals. I thank you for each person here. I pray that you would bless each, each person. We know that we all have struggles and trials and temptations and difficulties and things that we often don't think we can make it through, and yet you help us. And Lord, help us uh, physically with our help, uh, with our health, and help us spiritually with our maturity. Help us to put on all those things, like it says in Colossians, to put on uh, godliness and kindness and meekness and humility and all of the godly qualities. Help us to be like Christ. Help us to reflect his character in our lives every day. Thank you, Father, for each, again, each person here. We pray for those that are watching online that you would be with them and help them and encourage them, many of which are ill. And I uh, pray for the service to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.